I want to talk to you about the presence of God. The presence of God. In Exodus chapter 33, and don't go there just yet, but just keep your Bibles open to Exodus 32. But in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 3, God says something to the nation of Israel that I never want him to say to me. He says something to the nation of Israel that I never want him to speak over this body of believers. Because regarding his presence, this is what God says. God says in Exodus 33 and 3, I will not go with you. Here is God saying to the nation of Israel that I am withdrawing my manifest presence from your life. Now think about how significant this is. The ten plagues that God used to harden the heart of Pharaoh before Pharaoh released the children of Israel out of Egypt, that was a manifestation of God's presence. When God parted the waters of the Red Sea, that was a manifestation of his presence. That pillar of fire by night and the cloud that God gave them by day, that was a manifestation of God's presence. Manna falling from heaven and quail flying into their camp and water coming out of a rock. Those were manifestations of the presence of God. And God had revealed his presence to the children of Israel time and time again. Now understand, I'm not talking about the omnipresence of God. We know that God is omnipresent. We know that God is present everywhere all the time. But there's a difference in his omnipresence and his manifest presence. And he speaks to the children of Israel in, in Exodus 33 and 3. And he says with them, from this point on, I'm not going to go with you. I'm withdrawing my manifest presence from your lives. Now, what would cause God to say something like that? And even more importantly, what would, God, what would cause God to do something like that in your life and in my life today? Well, the Bible tells us in Exodus 32, 7 and 8. Look at this. That the Lord said to Moses, he said, Here, here's the reason why I'm withdrawing my presence. The Lord said to Moses, go get down off of this mountain. They are at Mount Sinai. Now get this. They've come to that point in their journey, which is a short journey to Sinai since they've been released from Egypt. And when they get to Sinai, Moses goes up on the mountain in order to get the law from God and also to get from God the blueprint for the tabernacle. So everything that we're going to read about right here happens while Moses is on the mountain getting the law and the blueprint for the tabernacle. He said, now I want you to get down off of this mountain for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. And he says that they have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
Now, in that short passage of Scripture, I see at least four things that Israel did and that if we're not careful, we can do that causes God to say, hey, from this point on, you're on your own. And the first thing that he tells us in this passage of Scripture is this, and that is that he withdraws his presence when we reject the ways of God. Because go back and look at that passage of Scripture again. It says that the Lord said to Moses, go get down. Now listen to what he says here. He says, for your people, he's talking to Moses, for your people whom you brought out of the land. Notice God will not even identify with those people anymore because of their sin. I mean, down at the foot of that mountain, participating in all kinds of pagan revelry. And God will not even identify with them at this moment. He says, these are not my people. He said, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. Listen, when you and I decide to be disobedient and rebellious against the commands of God, you can bank on it that at that moment, God will begin to remove our sense of his presence from our lives. I mean, God had given the nation of Israel clearly defined commandments regarding their worship. But instead of following God's way, they did their own thing. They took their own way. The Bible says there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death and destruction. You see, God even has given us commands. Every one of us this morning, we know that in the word of God, God has given us his commands. But if we choose to live our lives in, in, in opposition to the commands of God and rejecting the commands of God and contradicting the commands of God, then we cannot expect the presence of God to continue with us in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our church, in our community, in our state, or even in our nation or all over the world you see God God has a way of doing things and God had given them clearly defined commandments regarding their worship but they rejected God's way and went their own way but there is a second thing that I think caused God to remove his presence from them and that is that they refrained from the worship of God not only did they reject the works of God, or not only did they, they move away from the commands of God, but they refrained from the worship of God. Because listen to what the scripture said. He said, they have turned aside quickly. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me they tried God's way for a while, but when God didn't move as quickly as they thought God should have moved in their life, they took matters into their own hands. How many of you know that God has his own way, but God also has his own time? Amen. And we've got to learn to be patient while God works in our lives. And Moses is up on the mountain. They think he's taking too long up on the mountain. God is taking too long. And so we take matters into our own hands. They quickly, quickly turned aside out of the way that God had commanded them. And notice what it said. He said, they have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed it. Notice, they're now worshiping, not God. They're now devoted not to God, but they are worshiping and devoted to an inanimate object. I mean, they, they are now letting this golden calf take precedence over God. 
You know, we need to ask ourselves this morning, are we allowing anything to take precedent over God? Is there anything in our life that we are more devoted to than we are devoted to God? Is there anything that gets our, our greatest time, our greatest talents, our greatest treasures other than God? That's what's happening here. They have refrained from worshiping God and they've gone to worshiping an idol. And how many of you know that idols come in all different kinds of shapes? and sizes. Did you know that if we're not careful that even church can become an idol? That we worship the church more than we worship the God of the church. That we worship the institution and the organization and we're more devoted to the institution and the organization than we are to the God and the spirit of the organization. And listen, God will not stand for that. He will withdraw his presence when we are more devoted to other things. But then there was a third thing that I think caused God to say this. And that is that they renounced the works of God. Because notice what they said in this passage of scripture. He said they have made themselves a molded calf. Worshipped it and sacrificed to it. And listen to what they said. They said this is your God O Israel. That brought you out of the land of Egypt. Do you know where that golden calf came from? It came from their earrings and their necklaces and their bracelets and their anklets. But notice what they're doing. If you would have walked into the camp that day, they would have said to you, you want to know who it was that brought us out of Egypt? Do you want to know who it was that rolled back the waters of the Red Sea? Do you want to know who it was that provided the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day? This is our God. They would have pointed to that calf that just minutes ago was either hanging around their neck or dangling from their ears or around their wrist and ankles. I mean, that's how bad things have gotten in this particular situation. They are now attributing the works of God to an idol. They are now taking glory from God and ascribing glory to some kind of an inanimate object. Listen to me here this morning. When we come into the presence of God, it should be all about God and what God has done in our lives. When we get into the presence of God, we should not be walking out of the presence of God saying, wow, who was that? We should be walking out of the presence of God saying, woe is me because I have been in the presence of a holy God and I realize my unholiness and I need God to take the coal from his fire and to touch my lips and to touch my heart and to change me and to transform me because if we are not careful, we begin to ascribe to man the glory that belongs to God the Bible says that our lives should magnify God that means that people should be able to see through the lenses of our lives and that God should be magnified God should be made bigger through the lives that we live and by the worship that we give to him but if we're not careful we spend much more time talking about the cleverness and the talent and the gifts of men and women more so than we do about the presence and the power of God and so instead of glorifying and magnifying God we're magnifying 
man and diminishing the glory of God. My prayer is every time we come together at Summerton Church of God that we're not coming together just to be moved by music or just to be moved by a message because that's when it becomes idolatry but that we are coming in here to walk into the presence of God so that when we walk out nobody can take any credit for what happened because we would have known that if God had not been here none of that could have taken place hallelujah but they are now giving glory to an inanimate object for something that God had done to them and then there was a fourth thing that they did they resisted the will of God because notice what it says it says that the Lord said to Moses I have seen this people and indeed it is a stiff-necked people Now that word stiff-necked is the opposite of meekness. Here's what meekness means. It means to have a teachable and a trainable and a manageable spirit. It, it, It is the picture of a powerful animal that has submitted to its master. And God said, I've done everything I can possibly do to manifest my presence to these people. But they continue to resist my will for their lives. You do understand that God has a will, a plan, a purpose for our lives. And and the more that we resist his will for our lives, whether we're offering some kind of excuses like, you know, I'm, I'm inadequate. I don't have what talents and what gifts and what abilities is needed to do what God is calling me to do. You know, we, we, we have all of these kinds of excuses. And the more that we resist the will of God, the more we drift from the presence of God until we no longer experience the manifest presence of God in our lives. I found out a long time ago that when God speaks and God tells you to do something, you better do it, and you better do it quickly. Amen? If God tells you to witness to somebody, you better witness to them. It may be the last chance for them to hear the gospel. If God says to you, I'm calling you into a ministry, I'm calling you to go, I'm calling you to do something for my kingdom and for my glory, you better obey what the will of God is. If God is telling you to break off a relationship in your life that's holding you back for his best you better do what God is speaking to your heart to do because the more that we resist the more stiff necked we become you see when we sin as believers the Holy Spirit is there to convict us of our sin but if we fight that conviction if we battle that conviction if we resist that conviction our conscience becomes harder our conscience becomes more seared until we have lost our sense of God's presence in our lives God help us that when God speaks that's why I try to be so obedient you do understand that when we make a few changes moving forward that it's it's not a result of something that I want to see I'm just trying to be obedient to the voice of the Lord I'm just trying to be obedient to the Holy Spirit because I've learned a long time ago I've got to fear God more than I fear man because I'm not going to stand before man one day and give an account I'm going to stand before God one day and I'm going to give an account to God and I've got to make sure God yes I was obedient I was submissive to your will I was teachable I was trainable I did everything God that you asked me to do guys we've got to learn to live in the will of God if we want to learn it live in the presence of God amen and so you've got these four things 
They rejected the ways of God. They refrained from worshiping God. They renounced the works of God and they resisted the will of God. But I I want you to notice what happens in the very next passage of Scripture. God says, now therefore, Moses, he said, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. But then he said to Moses, he said, but I will make of you a great nation. In other words, here's here's the deal that God wants to strike with Moses. I'm going to kill everybody but you, Moses, and I'll start all over with you. I'll, I'll make a great nation out of you now. A lesser man would have accepted that invitation, but not Moses, because Moses loved those people. And Moses still wanted those people to see the promise of God fulfilled in their life and the presence of God manifested in their life. And so what does Moses do? It said, then Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, and he said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot Against Now look at this. Remember, a while ago it was God saying these are your people and, and, and Moses, you brought them out. But Moses reminds God, these ain't my people. And I didn't bring them out. He said, God, he said, why does your, your, your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them? to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Here's what Moses is doing. He's interceding on behalf of these people that God would not wipe them out, but that God would extend to them grace. He said, turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that covenant that you made with them, God. Remember that, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, I'm going to give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So look what happens as a result of Moses' intercession. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said that he would do to his people. Now that word relented is not like repented where it says that God changed his mind. It just simply means that God changed his course of action in how he would discipline his people. And then Moses, at this point, he comes back down off the mountain and he has in his hand the stone tablets upon which the law is written. And when he gets back down to the foot of the mountain and he sees the nation of Israel in their drunken pagan revelry, he takes those stone tablets upon which the law is written and he throws them to the ground and they crumble into thousands of people or pieces, which was a picture that the people had broken the law of God and then the next thing he does is he calls Aaron out his brother and he says come here Aaron you're going to have to give an account of what's going on down here because you see it always starts with the leadership that's where the accounting has to come from that's why I want to be careful to do what God is putting in our heart to do amen and he calls Aaron forth and here's what he says to Aaron how in the world did you allow all of this to happen Aaron said you know God I didn't have anything to do with it he said all I did is I took their gold threw it in the fire and poof out came a cow 
But we know what the Bible says. The Bible said they melted the gold down and they molded, that Aaron molded a golden calf. And the reason why they made a calf is because that was the kind, that, that's what God looked like back in Egypt. And so in the absence of Moses, and as far as they knew, in the absence of their God, they, they just wanted something visible, something tangible that they could worship. And so they thought, well, back in Egypt, the gods were cows, so let's make us a cow. And they began to worship that cow. But here's what happened. Moses then took the calf and burned it and crushed it into a powder and then he spread the powder in the water of a stream nearby and then he made the people drink the water. The Bible says we reap what we sow and what that's a picture of is that they were going to suffer the consequences of their sin. Because you see, even though God is a God of grace and God forgives us of our sin in God's government, he allows the terrible consequences of sin to come into our lives. And so that's what this was a picture of. And then after they drank that water, he makes this announcement. He said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come and stand with me and only the Levites came and stood with Moses and Moses then under the instruction of God said I want you to go through the camp and I want you to kill every rebellious man that is left every man that's going to continue in his rebellion kill them and the Bible said that by the end of the night 3,000 men had been killed as a result of the judgment of God as the result of the consequences consequences of their sin and then what did Moses do Moses then gets in front of the people and listen to what he said he said it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people you have committed a great sin do you want to know why it was a great sin? It was a great sin because it wasn't the world. It wasn't the unbelievers that were sinning against God. It was the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, his treasure. And listen, sin, I believe, is greater when the people of God sin. But not only was it a great sin because of who did it, it was a great sin because of when and where this sin happened. It happened at Mount Sinai where they had just seen and, and an unbelievable display and demonstration of the manifest presence of God. It happened at Sinai where God would visit Moses and give him the law. And right in that place at that time is where this sin was committed. But what made it such a great sin was because of everything that God had done for them in their past to bring them out of their bondage, to bring them out of their captivity into their land of promise and so Moses said that you have committed a great sin so now he said I'm going to go up to the Lord and he said perhaps I can make atonement for your sin thank God for people who will intercede thank God for people who will go up to the mountain and get in the presence of God and say God forgive your people God forgive your church God forgive your nation and that's what Moses does and it said that Moses returned to the Lord now he's there 40 days 40 nights praying and fasting listen do we want the presence of God so much that we are willing to do what it takes to 
to, to, to experience the presence of God unlike we've ever experienced his presence before. But it says, then Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, God, if you will forgive their, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of the book that you have written. Notice, he is so identifying with these people that he's saying, God, if you won't forgive them then it's as though you're not forgiving me they are my people and God if you're not going to forgive me then go ahead and blot me out of your book that you've written as well now he's not talking about the book of life he's talking about that book the census that listed all of those who were legitimately a part of the nation of Israel and he was saying God if you destroy us that means we're not yours that we don't belong to you so if you don't forgive them then blot me out with them because I'm a part of them. And then God answers. In Exodus chapter 33, it said that the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. Now notice what God says here. It's very important. He said, I want you to go to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. And I will send my angel before you. Now notice, he's going to send his angel, but he himself is not going to go with them. In other words, he said, I'm going to give you my protection. And he said, I'm going to give you my provision. And ultimately, you will arrive at the promised land. But from this point on, I'm not going with you. Now listen, if we're not careful, we can confuse the presence of God with the provision of God. And we can think that just because we have God's provision that we have God's presence. But, but, but listen to me this morning. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. And I know that many of you look at that passage of Scripture as though it's a Scripture of judgment, but it's not. It's a Scripture talking about God's grace. It's a Scripture talking about God's goodness and how the rain falls on the just and the unjust and that the unjust breathes air just like you and I breathe air. So we, can't, we cannot confuse the provision of God with the presence of God. Now, if the presence of God is here, we'll Will there be provision? Absolutely. But you cannot measure the presence of God by the provision of God. Do you understand? And he said, you've got my protection. You've got my provision. You've got the promise that you will ultimately get into the promised land. He said, you're going to go into that land that flows with milk and honey. But notice he says this, but I am not going to go with you. Not going to do it. Because he said, if I do, I'm going to kill y'all. <laughs> and that's basically what he's saying. He said, if I go with you, I'll consume you along the way because you are a stiff-necked people. Now, I want you to listen to what Moses said. We're going to wrap it up right here. Team, I want you to come up and get ready. But here's what Moses said. He said, what Moses said to him, well, Lord... If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. God, I don't want to take another step without your presence. And he goes on and he says this. He said, how will anyone know that you're pleased with me? And how, how will everyone know that you're pleased with your people unless you go with us? In other words, 
People have been able to see your manifest presence in our journey. They saw how you delivered us out of Egypt with your mighty, powerful hand. They saw and heard about how you rolled back the waters of the Red Sea, how you gave us a pillar of fire and a, and a cloud to protect us and to guard us and to lead us and to guide us and direct us. And he said, all of that, God, was a result of your presence. And then he goes on and he says this. He said, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people of the face of the earth? In other words, he said, God, the only thing that makes the nation of Israel different from any other nation is your presence. The only thing that sets us apart from any other nation in this world, God, is your presence. And do you know that as a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only thing that sets you apart from, uh, from an unbeliever as a believer, the only thing that sets you apart is the presence of God. I don't want to live a day apart from the presence of God. It's what sets me. It's what distinguishes us from the world is the presence of God. And if we do not have the presence of God, then we are no different than any other nation. We are no different than any other people. God, we need your presence. Oh, we hunger for your presence, Lord. <laughs> 